Hello! Welcome to this week's episode of Why Not Both, the podcast all about how our multiple passions inform our identity. My name is Pam Schaefer. I'm a musician and therapist in Los Angeles, and I also happen to be your host. Our episodes this season are brought to you by Under the Radar Magazine and produced by Laura Studeris. You can find us on social media. We are under WNB the podcast, and that's both on Instagram and on Twitter. If you like our interviews, please make sure to like us and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform so that you don't miss a single one. This week, we got to interview Simon Ramond, who is pretty much a legend. He's the bassist from the Cocteau Twins and also runs Belly Union Records. I hope you enjoy our interview. Well, welcome to Why Not Both. It's secretly a cloud meeting. <laughs> I'm glad we both know what we're doing. <laughs> oh, <Not>. yeah. <laughs> um, so the first question that I usually ask people is, what do you do? And also, is there actually a better question to ask you? Because that seems like, you know, kind of a cocktail party question. It, it, yeah, it is. I mean, I, I I sometimes wonder myself, what do I do? And, you know, what is what is my purpose on the planet? <laughs> because it's like, as you, as you sort of progress through life, um, and you do so many different things, which I do, you know, you, you do sort of wonder which is your strength and which is your weakness and um, whether you should be focusing on more, 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 more on one thing or another. But I mean, in a nutshell, I'm a musician who runs his own label. I mean, that, that's a sort of brief, you, you know, a sort of half a sentence version of what I do. I mean, it is more complex than that, but um, that's kind of what, that's kind of the the nub of it. Gotcha. Gotcha. And it's interesting that you pointed out that you said, well, what's my strength and what's my weakness? Because I was thinking that sometimes if you work at your weaknesses, they actually become stronger as opposed to if you have a natural strength for something, you might not actually work at it very much. Yes. And that, that is in my case, m- most definitely true. Um, but it's also complicated b- 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 because the group that I was a musician in for so many years um, was quite um, an emotional, <laughs> emotionally draining one, and mm-hmm. it it was not that it put me off music. That would be um, that would be too flippant. It, it it just affected me in a very deep and profound way that I wasn't prepared for, and I didn't really understand how to process when the group wasn't there anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I threw myself into running this label. Um, I think initially just because it was something to do and I couldn't stand like not doing something. Um, Yeah. But as the years have gone by, I think I realized I was just, just like running away from, you know, dealing with, with, with the sort of uh, the closure of the band or the, the the end of the band. And, um, you know, didn't really want to go there. I didn't want to sort of deal with, being a musician anymore for, for sort of temporarily anyway um, say, but then did you re-enter music yeah yes i did but it took me 20 years wow <laughs> yeah it, it, it took me a long time and i i sort of it's, it's a very odd story i mean think about it i mean of course, of course i was involved in music all the time i was you know helping you know young bands bands with their careers helping i was being creative in a very different way to had been before, before mm-hmm. it was a very selfish pursuit, you know, making music is quite a self, selfish thing. Um, 
And I, I love that, and I love the collaborative part of it. And I, when I wasn't doing it anymore, I carried on doing the collaborative part of it, but just without me playing the guitar uh, or, or the piano or whatever. That's so interesting that it was it was a way to kind of emotionally distance, but also emotionally process over the last 20 years. Yeah, it wasn't intentional, I, I promise you. <laughs> was, I wasn't <laughs> stepping away from it deliberately. I just sort of suddenly realized when I was planning our 20th anniversary, as it happens, you know, a year or so before, in the 19th year of, of the label, I was thinking, I should be really feeling great about this, that we've, we've managed to get through 20 years, you know, without, you know, blowing the whole thing up. And um, <laughs> why am I not super happy about that? And I, I, I spent a long time thinking about it and, and realized it was because I wasn't doing the, the one thing I got into music for, which was, which was play, you know, playing. It's music. <laughs> yeah. So once I kind of, once the penny had eventually dropped after 20 years, you know, <laughs> Um, a bit of a slow learner. I uh, I started to have an amazing time again, and um, that continues to this day. That's amazing. What's it like now that? And I mean, can you tell the listeners what band you were in and what your record label is? And then I'm really curious what it was like once those floodgates opened again, because I'd assume the interpersonal dynamic was completely different now that it's 20 years later and you're playing music with different people. Oh yes, and the world is the, you know the, the whole technology of making music has totally changed. And so I was in a, I was in a band called Cocteau Twins um, for, 15, for fourteen years of my life, from around about the age of twenty through to you know my mid thirties. Um, and the band was a, um, a sort of mildly successful uh, around the world. So we, 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 we toured an awful lot. We had a, a lot of records on, on 4AD initially, and, uh, which was one of the sort of top UK independent labels. And, and then latterly with, um, with a bigger label, a major label, which was a horrible mistake, mm. but we don't need to go into that. So that's sort of what I did for the, for the sort of 14, 15 years between 20 and, and 35. And then, before we broke up as a band, we decided we couldn't bear working with other record labels. We were just having a terrible time communicating and, and the relationships were just disintegrating as quickly as we could make them. Um, so we decided, in our infinite wisdom, to set up a record label. Um, so we went into that process. We, you know, we got a place. We, we had a really beautiful recording studio uh, where, where we were already at. And so, you know, we took over one of the offices there. We got some staff. We got some letterheads done. We got some postcards made up. All of a sudden, we were a record label. We were going to be putting out our own music, and that was it. But the band then broke up very soon after we set the label up. So, so and you're like, well, now I have this label. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly that. So now, I, gosh, what am I going to do? Okay, I'll, I'll sign some bands. And so that you know, there's a lot more to it than that. Of course, you don't you don't do this thing for, for twenty odd years, and it just be as as flippant as that. But that's the basic gist of it. You know, I threw myself into the label, knowing absolutely nothing about running a record label, and I would say it took me, you know, a good four or five years to kind of get a uh, to get any kind of confidence in in what I was doing. It was also slightly complicated by the fact that one of the other people in the band was my partner in the label, but he, he just, 
hated record labels. I mean, we, we all did, but, you know, he, he hated his own record labels. Uh, <laughs> so, so, you know, he didn't like it. I mean, it was complex because he wanted to sign certain types of bands. I wanted to sign completely different bands. We, just had, we were so different. We had such different tastes. And oh my goodness! As soon as he kind of he, as soon as he sort of, you know, left the scenario, and me moved <laughs> physically away, moved over to France, and and just there wasn't that whole specter of, of of running this thing that was just not pleasurable for either party. Once once that was cleared up, which was after a few years, um, then I kind of relaxed into it a bit more, and, and we, you know, we'd signed some bands like Beach House, Explosions in the Sky, Father. Uh, you know, latterly, uh, Fleet Foxes. We we broke that that band initially. Um, 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 Father John Misty, Spiritualized, Mercury Rev, bands that you know are playing me lips as well. You know, bands that are, are really well known mm-hmm. uh, are now are now are now on our label on my label. So um, it, it's been an amazing time, and, and I've enjoyed every second of it. But but as a sort of like rounding a human being. Uh, completely, I definitely needed to, to fulfill, fulfill that musician part again. Right. And that's, I mean, that was the impetus for even my starting this podcast was about how like people think that you can be defined by one thing or there's this narrative of like your one true passion. And in some ways, I also feel like it's very American and capitalist to be like, follow your one passion, play is your work, work is your play, like that very. <laughs> yes. Um. But I feel that no one is, no one has just one thing. Like even what you're talking about, I mean, it is within the music industry, but one is curating and running a label and becoming an influence in that way. And the other is that you said that you found that music was almost a selfish pursuit. And I was just like, yeah. And in some ways it's good to be selfish. Like it's good to want things for yourself. (laughs) Exactly. And I think, you know, that was my problem. I was just giving so much of myself to other people um well i certainly do enjoy that you know i enjoy passing on i mean i've been doing this an awful long time i'm 57 now i've i've got you know 40 years of experience in this business so i I, of course i love passing on you know my my knowledge or whatever it is uh, to to musicians and 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 bands that i meet i I love that part of it but certainly i i'd I'd given quite a lot in the band Mm. emotionally because it was a messed up situation the other two were uh initially a couple and then and and they had baby and then 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 they weren't a couple but we carried on as a band even when they weren't a couple anymore and then there was on top of all that there was like horrendous drug problems and sort of i was stuck in the middle for much of the 15 years kind of just sort of refereeing the drama um and that had its own toll on my my own relationships. Uh, uh, being you know being so involved with this group that was it was not just like a group where you just hey let's go let's all have fun in a band. It wasn't one of those. <laughs> it, it was it was quite a tough one. Um, so I'd sort of given quite a lot emotionally in in that part of my life, and then I realised I was giving quite a lot as well with uh, with the label, and then. Mm-hmm dipping my toe back in, 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 into making music, it sort of really freed me up. Um, and I've changed my attitude. My whole outlook is, is completely different now. I, I've moved away from London. I'm down by the sea. Um, I don't, don't ever go into the office. Not that I ever did anyway, but I, I, never, <laughs> I never go into the office. I, I speak to them all the time, of course, and, and we have great relationships, great team of people, but 
for me, I don't need to be in there. I can't sit at a desk and type emails all day long. It's just, it's just not me. It's just not my thing. So I prefer doing what I do, which is I go down to my studio and I make music sometimes, or, or I go and see a band. So I go to New York and see some bands, or I meet friends, or I just have a life that I actually love because the label can take care of itself to a degree. You know, I don't need to be in there checking every single thing. I've got amazing people who've been there years and years and years who, who I just trust to get on with it. And I just enjoy my life now. And, um, and that's a beautiful thing. It's so fascinating hearing kind of like the evolution of your self-definition. Like I was like, oh, well, how would you define yourself now? It sounded like you defined yourself as like a member of the Cocteau Twins and a referee. And then you defined yourself as like, almost like a, a tastemaker. And like you said, that you could help other bands get to where they are now. And now you're like, I'm just living my life by the sea. And I'm just like, oh, that sounds lovely. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I suppose I managed to do all those things and still find life very enjoyable and, and not too stressful. You know, I don't, I used to get quite stressed about it all. You know, well, how, you know, this is this thing doing well? And, uh, you know, is this manager seems annoyed. I need to resolve that. And now I'm just sort of, I, he's not like water off a duck's back. That, that's too extreme an example, but I'm just much more mellow about it because what will be will be. You know, if, if something bad happens in the music business, well, you know, you can deal with it. It's, the life still goes on. It's, it's not, it's not going to be um, something that I haven't heard before that I can't have an opinion about that, that hopefully will just calm everybody down a bit. Since, you know, there's a lot, a lot of people get very dramatic about, you know, and angry about, oh, this didn't happen and that didn't happen. I'm like, yeah, okay, well, I see that that's an issue. Uh, but let's just calm it down and, and we'll, we'll, just, yeah, we'll just sort it out tomorrow, you know. And it's very easy to get sort of sucked into this drama of, about everything, um, especially now. You know, the world is in an absolute disastrous place. You know, every, you can't even you can't read the news; otherwise, you'd, you'd just be throwing yourself off a cliff. I was it, it, everything that, is. That was a great dramatic understatement of like, and I'm like even saying the world <laughs> catastrophe. I'm like, oh, what understatement? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I think. Uh, when that's all going on and you, you know you really do uh, that's why i love music so much is because i can get away from i, I can lose myself in it whether whether i'm curating music for other people whether i'm doing this label thing where i sign bands and i'm putting them out there and hoping some people find some enjoyment in it that of course is a beautiful uh, enterprise but also so is making music because it, it, it's again super distracting for right. me, I I don't have to look at my phone and and, and read about Boris Johnson or, or or Donald Trump for five minutes, you know. And it's it's right. I, I I can find well five minutes I I can do it for like ten hours, you know what I mean? I, <laughs> I, I don't want to look at my throw, phone ever. Throw your phone into airplane mode. I talked to a few other artists who have spoken to that of like the fracturing of our attention because of social media, and about that it's so relieving to get to engage in your art for that exact reason, where you can just be like, nope, goodbye. <laughs> yeah i mean i so many of my friends are, are doing that note goodbye thing like full stop you know like not not even having a phone anymore just getting rid of the whole thing and i, I have i can't do that yet you know I, I actually like going 
on Facebook for for uh, you know half an hour at night before I go to sleep and just catching up on nonsense and seeing <laughs> you know dog pictures and you know bear videos and dolphins. I I, I like that stuff because it, again it's just you know takes you away from yourself for a minute. But then yes, just turn the thing off. Don't leave it beside the bed because exactly. I'm like. Know, I'm making a mental note to send you a particularly good dog and goat video at the end of our <laughs> <laughs> probably, I've probably seen it. It's um, quality. It is high quality. <laughs> I've probably seen it. So yeah, I love all that stuff and it just it's it's fine, but you know, once you start thinking about it too much, it's 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 so it's so distracting. And I have to make music uh, as as part of that, you know, healing thing. I, I always use music as a sort of he- healing, uh, not in a hippie way, but just like, um, you know, I always even found with the cocktails when, when, when we're really angry about something, we tend, we didn't realize this initially, of course, because we were too young and stupid, but when we were angry about stuff, whether it be like an argument, a record label or just shit was going on in life, we found that we would write music like straight away afterwards that was, completely the opposite of what, of what <laughs> yes. yeah so if we were feeling angry we're like suddenly we'd write this most beautiful you know mellow soft song that ha- had this sort of antiseptic effect you know um and, and and the opposite when things were sort of quite nice and mellow we tended to write songs that were sort of a bit more a bit tougher and a bit more aggressive and i've I found that quite fascinating because it's sort of almost like, you know, you're giving yourself that balance back, yes. you know. Um, it was remarked by, um, it was actually by an ex of mine that said that they, they were like, oh, you're just, you're so, it's almost uncanny how balanced you are. Like to get an emotional response out of you is so challenging. I was like, oh no, all of my crazy goes into my songs. <laughs> and it's exactly. all- is it the happy crazy? Is it the angry crazy? Is it sad crazy? We don't know. That's just where it all goes. So that way I'm much more pleasant to interact with in real life. <laughs> that's fascinating. Well, I think that's a, that's a very good point. You know, the way I make music now is also dramatically different to how I'd, I've done it before. Maybe it's because I, I don't, because I don't have as much time as, you know, as, as a normal, just full-time musician, because I'm obviously doing all these other things. I, I can't just sort of, spend all day in the studio for weeks on end that, that that i can't do so the project i do now is i i get together with the drummer and um we go into a live space mm-hmm. and we just we just literally have no songs no melodies nothing we, we we don't practice beforehand we just go in pick up our instruments i play the piano or something or Rhodes or any kind of keyboard and he'll play the drums and we'll just jam uh and we'll record the jabs and because i'm not a brilliant musician on any one instrument we we have sort of limitations i suppose and in a way that that's the strength is that yeah. we just jam up to a point and then and then we go home and i take the hard drive with me and then i go through our jams and i go ah you know what that's actually cool i'm going to put a bass on that uh-huh. and then i'll put some guitars on it and then sort of three hours later it's like oh that's just, there's a there's a song in there somewhere, oh. um, and that's what I do. And then I basically do more curation. I I then send that sort of instrumental that I've arranged into a kind of a song to a singer that I think will be the right singer for this particular piece of music. 
Um, so my my band, or, or it's not really a band, but my my project is me and a drummer, and then tons of different singers. But then that's what I'm doing with my music right now. That's fascinating because it sounds almost like it reminds me of when you would write down like a bunch of either words or ideas and put them in a hat and start pulling them out and pick the good ones, <laughs> arrange them, and then like like that's <laughs> interesting way to work. And I really yeah, it's sort of like it's, it's not like jazz improvising, but it, it's sort of improvising of a sort. It's like it's it, I, I, you know it's limited. It's limited because I'm not a virtuoso, uh, so I, I can't just do anything. But I do my thing, and then I, I and then I become very creative in my own little studio space, and then I I send music to to the singers that I, I admire and I think will work on this particular song, and I say to them. This for me is like very, very free, very free and and beautiful, and it's a, it's it's my happy time when I'm doing this. And the music may be thoroughly miserable and melancholic, right. but <laughs> you have to you have to appreciate the place it came from was one of complete freedom. I said to the drummer when we got back together because he's a drummer that I used to be friends with many many years ago in the Cocteau's days, and we were both in bands on 4AD together. And he's one of my favorite drummers in the world. If I was ever going to do anything with anybody again, it had to be him. Hmm. Well, I said to him, look, I don't want to be in a band. I don't want like to have a singer. I just want to do the music and you and me mess about together. And if it ever becomes anything, then great. But, but let's just be 15 years old again. Let's, let's be how we were when we first met, where it was just all about the fun of playing live together in a room. And right. if it ever, you know, if it becomes a band or a record, whatever, well, all well and good. But let's not think about that now. Let's just do it for the fun. So that's where our um, inspiration comes from, that feeling. And, I, and when I send that stuff out, out to singers, that's sort of what I say. Don't feel like you have to do this. I'm not asking you because I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't want you to do it because I was in the Cocteau Twins and you think I, I'm, I, you know what I mean? I right. want you to do it because you think it's great. And if you don't think it's great, then please just say, I don't get it. And I don't, I don't, <laughs> don't just do it because, you know, so it's quite hard to get that over in an email, but I've managed it so far. And, there you um, go. Well, it, requires, <laughs> it sounds like it requires a lot of trust on your part, like trust of your drummer and trust of the people you're sending things yeah, It does. <laughs> 99 times out of 100, it works. There's only a couple, I, I've done, we've done one album, which was a, a double, which came out in 2017. The band's called Lost Horizons. Mm-hmm. And um, the project, sorry. Uh, uh, and I'm doing another one right now, and I'm almost finished. Um, it's interesting that you differentiate between saying project and band, because it sounds like band has an implication to you of all of that emotional work that you talked about. For those 15 years, it sounds like you've completely bought <laughs> that. I'm like, well, <laughs> Yes, I, that is true. But the I, 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 reason I call it a band sometimes by mistake is because after we put the first record out, which it was just basically just me doing all the music and him playing the drums and then all these singers contributing their, their, their melodies and their, and their words. You know, it, I had like 16 songs, I think, on the first record. And I, I'll tell you, I can tell you a whole nother story about how we got to that point, whether it should be a single or double or whatever. But anyway, we put the thing out and I, I'd said to Richie, the drummer, I said, we can't ever do this live, right? Because it's, it's just too complex. I, I, I had to teach everybody all the parts and I don't even fucking remember how to play anything. <laughs> I, 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 we made it all up as we went along. You know, it's, it's going to take forever. Um, so he was like, cool, but let's just play it by ear. And then, of course, we started getting offered loads of shows and festivals. And he was like, come on, man, it'd be such fun to go out playing again. And I was like, really, would it, though? 
<laughs> You're like, do we really want to do all the schlepping? Schlepping. Really not sure. And also, on the album, there's there's like 15 different singers. I said, there's no way in the world we could do this live um, unless we compromise and we. So listen, that's what we ended up doing. We had a band of seven on stage with <laughs> three, three vocalists, and you know, me playing guitar and him playing drums, and we had two mellotrons, and, and I mean, it was amazing fun. And I, I would, I wouldn't. I wouldn't turn the clock back and, and do it any differently. But, but you know, it is quite stressful putting a band together, rehearsing everybody, teaching everyone the parts. I'm not 100% sure I want to do that all over again. Uh, I am here for any band that has two Mellotrons. <laughs> um, so when we came to play live, I, I was like, well, there's quite a lot of Mellotron parts on, the, on these songs. And the, one is just not going to cut it. So I bought a smaller one, <laughs> a mini Mellotron, which is, which is exactly the same as a normal Mellotron. <laughs> I like that you're like one Mellotron, not enough Mellotron. <laughs> so it was pretty funny getting flight cases made for my two Mellotrons. Oh my gosh. Um, you're like, yeah, this is my life. <laughs> so maybe... maybe Maybe I'll go back on to just to get the Mellotrons out again, but but I don't know. It's stressful for me to organise everything because we, you know, we don't, I don't have a manager or anyone, anything like that. So it, it's it's like we have to do everything ourselves. My wife helps me an awful an awful lot with this stuff, mm-hmm. but it is time consuming and playing festivals. I, I I kind of I don't think it's quite right for for this band because you don't get a sound check. Yeah. Yeah, and then it's like, and, surprise, and, two Mellotrons. Exactly. Seven <laughs> people, three singers, you know, two Mellotrons, drums, piano, guitar, and bass. No Literally sound sound like any. You know, it's like, what? <laughs> you don't know what's going to come out. <laughs> <laughs> no, with all the, the brilliance of our sound men, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, it, it, it's still going to be difficult because you're putting yourself into a situation in the studio you know you're in control of everything as soon as you step onto a stage you're in control of very little and as soon as you you do a festival you're pretty much in control of nothing nothing (laughs) i'm not sure about that bit yet but i'm not going to stress out about it because i'm just really enjoying making making the record at home and, and 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 getting close to the finish line that's so cool. I was wondering how you like divvy up your time and efforts with that because like you said, you don't usually go into the office, but I'm like, I can imagine you still are very invested in everything in the label. Oh, yeah. I mean, the thing is, I sort of might think I can take my eye off it, but, you know, I am a control freak. It, not in a bad way. You know, I, 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 I say that in a, I say that with reticence because control freaks are the worst people in the world, but <laughs> <laughs> I have to. I have to know about it. Do you know what I mean? I can't be getting a phone call from a manager in Los Angeles at eleven o'clock at night, where he's going, "Well, what's happening with this?" And I don't know what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. So, of course, I have to read all the emails. I don't have to respond to them all, but I have to read them all. I mean, I, if you looked at my iPhone, you'd be horrified because it on, on the email sort of icon, it does say forty-two thousand emails. <laughs> And I know that's a shock for people who listen to my phone on the table. They're like, hold on a minute, you've got 42,000 unread emails. I'm like, yeah, but you have to put that into context. You know, I, 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 
I know what they're all about. I might not. I, I, I look at them sort of when they come up on the notification, and I know that most of them I don't need to look at because they're just right. somebody going, thank you, or right. you know, yes, I received it. Or you, you know how many times like or my last email. Just pointless emails. So. Um, <laughs> Yes, I I am really super busy, and sometimes I go in the studio to to try and make some music, and I sit there for six hours, and all I've done is just uh, you know put fires out and right. and resolve issues, or you know do do label stuff or publishing stuff or management stuff or what because I manage a band as well. So oh, so <clears throat> yes, uh, I have to be in the mood, and of course, if I sat six hours in the studio answering emails about stuff that I'm not hugely excited about i'm probably too exhausted by the end of it to want to do any music that's what i was wondering like in regards to time and effort, how to kind of i mean i know that for me personally it takes me a while to shift into creation mode especially if i've been in opening communication yeah. and so wanting to actually well not wanting but being able to get into that headspace i was like how do you clear your mind for that how do you even have time to clear your mind because i'm like wow you're you're a person in triplicate then being your band project, managing a band and managing a label, I'm like, do you sleep? <laughs> Are you- Not much, to be honest with you. No, I don't. I don't sleep very much. And that has caused some problems. Um, I mean, I had, you know, there's, there's, a, there's issues there for sure. And how, how, do I, how do I find the time to make the music is, is obviously a, a tricky one. And I don't really know the answer to that. I think but because, because I... I build a studio in 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 the garden. Um, this this has made things a lot easier because before mm-hmm. my studio was like four or five miles away over in Brighton, and, mm-hmm. and since we since we moved into this house, and there's a not a big garden, but there's a garden and a, a big bit at the end that I thought, wow, well, gosh, wouldn't they love you to have a studio? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, obviously, it's a dream to have a studio in your own house. And, of course, I would never have been able to afford to do it. But my mother passed away um, last year and left us, all the kids, a little bit of money. Um, and, you know, I, I, I said to my wife, you know, I know we could probably do with a new oven or a, a, a new bed, but I would really like studio so so that's you know i i treated myself to a studio and uh uh, the guys came and built it within three weeks and sort of once i kind of shut the door after they'd gone home and brought all my instruments from the lockup over to the Mm -hmm. studio and i put put some posters up on the wall and uh, made it feel not just like a sort of cold white clean empty space which is what it was mm-hmm. once it made it feel a bit homelier but a bit more like sort of a space that was interesting to be in i found it took me a little while to warm up to it you know mm-hmm. I, I, was, I was just mm-hmm. running in there and making music i had to feel the energy and the inspiration and i think sometimes that just comes when you're least expecting it you know I, I, abby and my wife would be like you know should we should we go to bed now? And I'd be like, Yeah, we could, but I don't know. I just really feel like I need to go in the studio. <laughs> um, you know, so she'll go out to bed and I'll go in the studio and I'll maybe stay in there till five o'clock in the morning, you know, and I, I, time will just disappear. 
and yet I'll come out with amazing things. And, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's, that's how I, I've sort of learned that if I'm not going to do amazing things, then I'm just going to come back and go to bed. Right. I think that's the best way I can explain it. It's like I sort of know myself that if I'm too distracted or I just want to go and eat a piece of toast uh, and watch, <laughs> watch community or something, then that's what I should probably do because if I wanted to make music, I wouldn't be thinking about any of those things. I'd just be running in there and I'd, I'd be doing it. Right. So it sounds like you're more, you're more of the kind of musician that's like, all right, I'm in the zone for this. I'm going to go do it. As opposed to there are other musicians that I've talked to that are like, yes, this is the time that I choose each day to write. And I'm in the studio from this time to this time. And I personally, I, I personally struggle to relate to that. Like I relate more to your version of it where you're just like, yep. This is the 5 a.m. music time, or nope, that was actually yeah, I think, JK. I, I mean, I, I wish it was kind of a bit more 9 to 5, to be honest, because it would be be more sociable. Uh, I mean, you know, I just feel bad sometimes just, just, just disappearing off <laughs> you know, when I should be doing other things. But I think I, I have to go that way because it's just it feels almost like a clock ticking, you, you know, and I sort of, the, the, the alarm clock is sort of vibrating, and I've Mm-hmm. Okay, I've got to go in there now. And I have to relate to it that way. I mean, How did you resist it, that alarm clock for 20 years? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I really don't know. I mean, I was dipping my toe in. Don't get me wrong. I think I probably made it sound like sort of from, from end of Cox Twins till this new band, I did nothing. I did. I produced other people's records. I, uh-huh. you know, I played... You know, I played bass on a track, or I, I would play piano on someone's track, or I would be doing musical things every now and then, which I sort of kidded myself was me still being a musician, keeping my hand in. But it, it really wasn't because it was just sporadic moments, um, and I just lost all confidence in it, to be honest with you. And I thought, I don't, maybe I'm just, maybe I'm not meant to be a musician because if I was, people would be calling me up all the time asking me to play, play, play with them, and they're not. So maybe I'm not meant to be a musician. Maybe I'm, I'm meant to be doing this label thing. And people seem to love the label and the band seem to love being on the label. So this is, I guess, what I'm supposed to be doing. <laughs> and that's you know, it's very easy. Thing, yeah, to conceive yourself. <laughs> kidded, yeah, you'd be to be kidded by, by your own insecurity. And I think that's what was happening. My, my confidence had gone. Because mm. um, I thought, well, why would I want to be in another band? Because it's never going to be as good as that one. And I'm never going to find a singer as good as Elizabeth Fraser. So why bother? And I think that's the sort of negativity that I was dealing with internally. That phrase that you said of like kidding yourself with your insecurity. But it's like, yeah, like taking in the messages from outside that like, oh, well, people aren't ringing me up. And it's that whole thing of like, well, why aren't you ringing people up? (laughs) Yeah, well, exactly. (laughs) And it's so it's so interesting to think of it that way. Um, and that you just like broke through it being like, well, it's a 20 year anniversary. I should really dive back into this. Yes. And, and, and it was surprisingly easy with, with the sort of, you know, that initial contact of, uh, of contacting a singer or somebody you admire, or uh, for example, um, I, I was a huge fan of, of, of Karen Paris who, who sings with the innocence mission. Mm-hmm. Um, She's like one of my favorite singers of all time. And I didn't know her, but I was a huge fan. And uh, I knew she would know, she would know like uh, about the Coxer twins because we were from the same era. And um, when I mailed her, I just sort of 
gushed about how, how much I, I, I loved her band and her voice. Um, but of course, I had this sort of trepidation that she'd be like, well, so what? <laughs> like, so what? So what? That we're from the same era. Like, who cares? You know, you, you, you haven't been making music for 20 years. So, what, what the hell is this? You know, I kind of still had that fear that of rejection, I suppose. Um, but I, I was so pleasantly surprised that time after time I would send things and people would be like, oh, I absolutely love it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sing on it right now and I'll send it, send it back to you in like three hours. And I'd be like, Whoa! <laughs> I think it's so valuable for people to be listening to an interview like this because I feel like as you are speaking about your insecurities, um, everybody has those insecurities, but we forget when we have them that other people have them too. And think that maybe if you ascend to some sort of certain level of personhood, you're not going to have them. And so hearing someone say that that's in your position, I think is valuable for people who like maybe aren't and go, oh, oh, Simon felt that way too. Oh, I can yeah. do that. Well, no, I mean, <laughs> so true. I mean, I, I mean, I remember reading that, you know, that, uh, that, that Prince had absolutely no confidence in his own tunes. Uh, you know, even when he was super successful, he thought, well, this is rubbish. I'm like, dude, if, if Prince is suffering with insecurity about his own talents, then really we should be just getting over ourselves a little bit because, you know, there is one of the most talented <laughs> human beings that ever played a note, of, you know, is, is just blew my mind. And I think that those stories, yes, you're right, they do help. And then you're like, oh, well, if he does, then I guess it's all right if I do. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think it's fascinating also hearing from someone who's been on both sides of being a musician, but also running a label, because I'm sure that that then informs you when you're dealing with the artist on your label to help them through that. Yes, and I, I like that bit for sure. And it's, um, I, you know, I, it's not like I enforced my opinions on anyone if they, if they don't want them. And I, I guess when people come to Bella Union as a label, knowing that the guy that runs it has the history that I have, you know, you've, you've already, there's already an introduction there without even speaking, you know, and I, I know when people mail me and, and say, I'd really like your opinion on this. It's not Mr. A&R man. Could I, well, sometimes it is because sometimes people just send emails to everyone without having a clue who they are. But when, when a band is actually mailing me and saying, I'd really like your opinion on this, I do take that really seriously because I know they know who I am and therefore they're asking me for a very good reason because they really <laughs> feel like they, they need my opinion on something. And whilst I can't always give it immediately because of you know the volume of, of mails I get, I, I do take that seriously and I am flattered by it. And I will always try and find something to say even if I can't stand it. <laughs> <laughs> You know, because that, of course, is going to happen because I have a very strange taste. And I say to all the bands, like, I'm going to give you a really honest opinion. Um, I, I, but, you know, you have asked me. So, you know, you, you're going to have to accept it. But uh, I'm always kind, even when I don't feel I should be. Was there was there anyone that you feel you reached out to in your career that was in the position that you're in now that you were like, oh, I really respect this person's opinion. I want to know what they think. Oh no, we, we not 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 in the Cocteau Twins days, no, because 
<laughs> we, were so, we really weren't very nice. I don't think. We were just so like overconfident about everything, <laughs> even though privately we we weren't. We we were we were riddled with insecurities, obviously, because of all the, the sort of relationship and drug problems. But we sort of had this public air of not giving a shit about anything mm-hmm. and not interested in anybody's opinion about us, and you know that we were just going to get on with our own thing and just, you know, F the rest of you, you know? Um, so we, we, we didn't really ever seek anyone's opinion about, about it or ask for any help. We had a, we had a really cool record label boss initially, uh, for AD who, who was a bit like a sort of dad figure to us because we all lost our dads very young. Um, and that was an interesting sort of, thing to, to to look back on you know that, that none of us had dads in our um in our 30s wow uh, uh so i think he, he we often sort of gravitated towards you know our, our, the only manager we ever had was much much later in life and he was in his like you know 50s 60s he, he was like a dad and he didn't fulfill any creative role at all we just actually wanted him to be our dad you know uh, yeah yeah and that didn't work out, obviously. Um, <laughs> he was like, what did I sign up for? <laughs> yeah. So the only things we really sought from other people were just sort of stability, I suppose, and uh, maybe sort of accountancy, sort of knowledge, or things that we had absolutely no interest or experience of, because we, we were just literally living in a, in a bubble of our own making, and we didn't know about tax or VAT or... You know, we didn't know about anything. We were just literally the most stupid band that ever walked the earth. So, so the only advice we ever sought was, you know, help us, help, help us from, help. from, yeah, you know, we've made beautiful ethereal things. Please explain that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, I used to get mails from people going, help, help. Yeah. I don't know anything about anything, but it's it's usually quite different. It's usually about music. It's never usually about. <laughs> How do I get on this bus to, <laughs> you know, to North Wales? I don't know. So, um, and what yeah. I'm curious, like how you perceive the artist's relationship to media and to the outside world now, because it sounds like you were really when you were in the Cocteau Twins in that bubble, as you described. But do you think that artists, in a way, like do we have the luxury of doing that now? Is it even a luxury? Like, do you see a difference in how artists are relating to the world? Oh yeah, I mean it's. So it's, it's, it's not the same business anymore. Um, obviously, you have to remember that you know, pretty much the whole of the Cocteau Twins' existence was pre-computer, pre-internet, pre-everything. Um, and of, of course, you know that changes everything, doesn't it? Quite. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, but I think obviously, you know, we we work with Father John Misty, mm-hmm. who I think is one of the most fascinating artists of the last 10 or 15 years because of, of that very thing and the way that a traditional press campaign or a traditional relationship that an artist might have with old-fashioned media back in the day, whether it be somebody that's a great interviewer, so somebody that takes great photos, uh, you know, somebody that's a really interesting subject for a biographer you know or somebody that was just 
a great story because they were cantankerous or <laughs> you know obnoxious or whatever it was you know that those were the characters that that filled our newspapers right now, now in this age it, it's so different because you know it's like the role of of who is playing the sorry you know who is playing the role whether mm -hmm. it's the prep whether it's the the, the the features editor or whether it's the artist is the artist the now the writer as well um and i think father john misty he he was a fascinating character to to come into the the online community the way he did and he sort of almost put a bomb under it <laughs> i think you know and I, he, he, I recall when he didn't he uh take one of the rose quartzes from moon juice and was like pranking the owner of moon juice by stealing her rose quartz he, yeah that yeah i think that's true i i'm thinking particularly of the sort <laughs> of the the pitch the the way he um had this sort of war of words with Pitchfork, who at the time were, you know, the, just the most massive uh, publication, you know, uh, online publication, and it was so influential that no one would dare criticize Pitchfork as an artist for fear of, you know, yeah, fear of the retribution that could follow. And he just like, completely lay into them on, on Twitter and on, 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 on online. And I was thinking, oh no, this is just this is a really bad idea, Josh. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> but it turned out to be the most brilliant thing he could have ever done. Of course, you know, ultimately, it sort of ended the way most things do online. It's just like exhaustion and uh -huh. oversaturation and all those things. And you know, of course, now he's sort of retreated away and he's just doing what he wants to do and make music and live his life and and and, and do the very best music he can do and that, that's that's where it's gone but at the time it was fascinating to see because no one had played the game that way mm -hmm. um and i think the whole relationship w between journalists and and, and 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 artists has changed dramatically um maybe for the, maybe for the better i don't honestly know it's too early to to be able to look back on it i you know yeah. It's like what is a, what is a journalist anymore? Is you know, it's like the, the the roles of everyone, of all of us, you, me, the artist, the journalist, the writer, the blogger, the the vlogger. Everyone is doing three hundred jobs to what one what people were doing one of before. Right, and we can also. It's interesting that you brought up, and I realized I was like, oh, that first thing I remembered about him was Moon Juice, which is a random thing to think about. And I was like, oh, well, it's probably because we can all craft our persona now. Or personae, plural, I guess. Like online, we can we can be who we want to be, and we can craft that when we're being interviewed by people, and we can we can create this image of ourselves that, in a way, like people used to be like, oh, I can be like you said, like the cantankerous rock star, or I could be like the recluse, and people could kind of fit into these little kind of archetypes. And now it's like, oh no, we can do whatever we want. <laughs> I suppose that's true. I mean, the smart ones for sure. You know, I, I've always struggled with with that. I just kind of tend to just answer the question as I'm asked it, and and don't really think too much about the consequences or what what I'm saying. Whether it, there's a bigger picture to it, it's just I just keep it straightforward because that's all. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not clever enough to have a you know a role to play in it or a or a part to play. Um, I think what 
what Josh did with, with with his early Father John Misty character online was was fascinating, um, and I think a lot of people have been in, have sort of been influenced by that. Oh yeah, like I was curious what advice you would give because I'm thinking I was like, what advice would you give to artists, but also what advice would you give to someone who is starting something like a label? because it is so open now. Like people are releasing their own stuff. People want to release their friends stuff. Like there's kind of this feeling of, oh, well, the rules don't apply anymore. So I guess we can make our own rules. Yeah. I mean, I, if, if it was me and I was starting all over again, I, I would just like not even go online. I would just make things impossible for people to discover, you know, and just be, <laughs> m- you know, more obscure than, than the other way around because I just think that's more interesting because it's just so easy, isn't it? Everything is just so easy. I could just, I could write, I could just put a piece of music online in, in the next twelve minutes. Yeah, you know, it, it's just, you know, and of course, there's, 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 there's a lot of artists will work out a way that suits them best, and I think that's what you've got to do, haven't you? You, you, you know, there is no right way or wrong way. There's no my way or your way. It's just whatever seems to be suitable to the artist is now what's the the beauty of the music business right now is that it's total fucking anarchy isn't it it's like you can do anything you want to do you can do anything and there's no right or there's no wrong there's just like well, okay if you don't want to have an online presence don't want to have facebook instagram twitter etc that, that is a thing it might not be a very smart thing in terms of if you want anyone to hear your music but if it if it's how you want to be and you've got other ways of putting your music out there i.e you know uh, a, a more physical process mm-hmm. get out in the street and put stickers up or do what people used to do 20 30 years ago no i can't argue with you that that's not the right way to go because you know if you want to get offline and not have a footprint I can't argue with that. I wish I didn't have one sometimes. Well, and I like the idea of uh, kind of like scarcity adds value. Like if you can get something easily, it's no longer valuable to you. Whereas if you have to kind of hunt for something or that that feeling of discovery that I think that people don't have as much now because it used to be, oh, you have to have to tape for you and that's how you hear this new band. Or then, oh, like you heard them on the radio and you have to catch that song. Then it was like, oh, you have to read it on a blog or in a magazine. And now it's like, oh, music is being pumped to you 24-7 by streaming services. Like yeah, which are all basically working on, a, on an algorithm. They're not, it's, not, it's, not even editor, it's not even editorial. It's not even curatorial anymore. It's just literally an algorithm. Yes, you can see, you know, 50 names of people that work at these streaming companies online and go, oh, well, you know, what do they do? I wonder if, if, wonder if I should speak to them about trying to get my band onto this playlist. It's nonsense. They they don't do anything. They, they're literally just they don't. They're just a face. They're just it's a fake. Well, they are, they are real people. I mean, I know they are because I've met half of them. But right. I just think it's just algorithms, and we're being served music now by a machine that thinks it knows what we want to hear. And ninety percent of the population will probably buy into that and be quite happy about it because. Ninety percent of people don't give a shit about anything to do with music. You right. know, just like oh, yeah, it's gonna play FIFA on PlayStation or watch Netflix and you know, maybe they'll hear a song on Radio One or, or on New Music Friday or whatever, and that'll be there. That that's fine. 
But, you know, for the people that, are, uh, that care about it, those kind of curated playlists are just so boring and full <laughs> of the same shit every week. Um, uh, there's going to be people in there that are trying their very best or think that they can make a difference. Yes. And, you know, there have been those people in music business throughout its existence. There have been plenty of people that care about stuff who worked at major labels. But when they finally worked out that actually nobody at the major label cares about my opinion and I'm only ever going to get to this level, i.e., you know, assistant marketing junior, you know, <laughs> I'll better, I better leave. You know, and then that's kind of what I, where I think we're going with this. It's like there's so much stuff out there. There's so much music out there. It's impossible to get through the layers to, to discover anything interesting. So where where are we going to find it? Well, I, you know what? Go to a fucking record shop. <laughs> you know, because believe it or not, that still works. Wander down to the record store. Yeah, well, you know, we, we ended up setting our own record shop up because that's that was one way of dealing with this and not having to stress out about, you know, Spotify and Deezer and on all these streaming services. And listen, don't get me wrong, I probably use them from time to time when I need to. But I, I I'm too I, I'm too old fashioned. I, I just love vinyl. I, I won't stop ever loving vinyl. Well no matter what the world tells me, you know. <laughs> it's interesting. I'm I'm of I guess the transitional generation. Like I'm I'm an elder millennial. I still remember uh, you know, I'm going to confess this on my own podcast ditching Hebrew school to go to the record shop. I would literally walk away from Hebrew school <laughs> to walk the several blocks to the warehouse uh, record store and listen to music. And then I would save up my allowance and my babysitting money so that I could buy records. But it's like, I would want to listen to them first so I could sample and see like, oh, well, what it like, okay. what it listen to, what it, and it was, it was an investment. Like it was an investment buying an album. And so I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really put thought into this. And now I do still, I use streaming services all the time. I love to listen to new yeah. music when I'm in the car, especially like I love to listen to new stuff, but I will, I'll put in different bands so that I can, I mean, my Spotify must think I'm like 17 different people. Like I'll put in <laughs> different bands to try and be like, no, like help me find stuff down this rabbit hole. Help me find stuff down that rabbit hole. Um, so it's like, oh, but I'll use it, I guess, like in a purposeful way. <laughs> like, I'll be like, no, I want to go down this road. And it's like, are you sure you want to go down like this really obscure ambient road? And I'm like, yes, take me down this road. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's like the, the, the age that we are and our experiences sort of define what kind of listener we are have become. And I, I, you must be the same age, a, a similar age to, to my wife, because your experiences and how you deal with it and how you put your playlist together and you know whether it's in the car or, or, or on sonos or on your headphones when you're out taking a run or whatever i can't deal with any of that and i would just much rather go into the record shop and just go up to the counter and, and i'd have a look around and see what i think but then go to a listening post and have a listen or go up to the counter and say you know, what's good? What's new? What do you like right now? And and just engage in conversation because this is how I, this is my life. I started my first, actually my only job 
uh, a normal job was working in a record shop. <laughs> um, uh, and I've never had a normal job since then. Um, and now I, now I have a record shop again. So it feels... Yeah, we we came full circle, you know. Well, if it's any comfort, I did discover your band because my best friend in high school did put you on a mixtape that she physically made and hand wrote the playlist for. So oh, was- I see. <laughs> there you go. You see, being a luddite is that there's still some some value in it. Exactly. Exactly. I was yeah. like, that's you know, that's how I discovered you. I was probably I think we were sixteen. We were in our junior year. I love the mixtape. I know you know, I used to make them for, for friends all the time too. So I mean, I I totally buy into that. And I, I I think what will happen is that you know, there's my generation, there's your generation, and there's 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 kids in their early twenties right now who already because they've had the phone and the mobile and the the the, the, the tablet and they've had it really since mm-hmm. they were born, pretty much. Mm-hmm. They that are now starting to say you know what no enough of that they're the ones that are going to going to decide which way we go on this because yes it's all it's too late for us you know i'm not i'm not going to give up the phone now it's too late uh, i i need it for my work and i i need to tell the world about my bands i don't know any other way of doing it other than by my limited skills on facebook instagram <laughs> and twitter and i like putting up stuff i like twitter i like telling people stupid shit that i'm thinking um, <laughs> my way of communicating with the world temporarily. Um, but i think you know a younger generation is not going to be thinking of these things in the same way and are going to be like you know what we need to get back on the street and i hope that's true because you know, when we when we had problems in the seventies with Thatcher's government here, or you know, with with the way the country was being run, or the way race was an issue that we didn't like, we would march and we would put on events mm-hmm. and we would get on the street and make change happen. And change did happen, oh, sometimes slowly, but you, you know, it was an active time. To to it, it it was an active time. You know, and I think if you get out on the street and you see that, oh. There's other people there. We all feel the same about this awful shit that's happening. It's sort of empowering. I mean, the, the, you know, you, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, like I was going right to say, what's going on right now with the climate strikes, yeah, especially yeah, worldwide. Yeah. Yeah, and it doesn't matter what, you know, so you can't be cynical about that stuff. Um, you have to just embrace it. and You just have to go, I'm going on the march. And yeah. I'm finding that people are now actually doing it. And I've been saying for the last two years, I wish you just all stop moaning online and get out and vote with your feet. Go to the ballot box and vote for the government that you want, not moan on Twitter about it and say how shit everything is. Because yes, it is. We know it. <laughs> get out there and do something. And I think finally people are starting to do it. Well, and I think also hearing from someone who is of a different generation to know that like, it's not generation versus generation. It's more like, okay, we're all in this together, so let's go out and do something. Yeah, that's quite a beautiful thing, and that's um, surprising, like, surprising. I wasn't expecting this to happen. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that's been a good description for the last few years of, I wasn't expecting that to happen. Well, that's true. I mean, (laughs) the whole thing has just been fast forward, though, hasn't it? It's like, I really wanted to press the stop button, but 
it's just been in fast forward for 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 the last three years. It feels kind of like, oh, whoever's running this simulation, I want whatever they're having. This is very bizarre. That's true. I tell you what is what, one great thing about uh, is right now is that I had never watched an episode of Community until about um, three weeks ago. Uh-huh. Can you even believe that? I mean, it's been out how many years? Like <laughs> ten years. And uh, my wife, my wife knew it backwards, but we for some reason we we'd never brought it up together. And I was like, everybody says that show Community is really good, and. Um, I have to say that has made my life very enjoyable in the last <laughs> month. I haven't, I haven't laughed so much in years. What a great That's show it is. Fabulous. That's a delight. It's just a real delight. In fact, I can't wait till she gets home tomorrow and we can start watching it again. Oh, <laughs> and I loved, it was interesting what you said about the fact that you're like, oh, we could use a new bed or a new oven but I was thinking about the fact that it's really wonderful to have a supportive partner and also to have kind of like a final gift from your mom to be able to have your own studio at your home. I was like, oh, oh that's lovely. Yeah, I mean, after, you know, I've had some difficult years, you know, uh, not, 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 I'll not lie about it. I had some pretty serious health issues and, you know, going through the whole thing with my mom, um, the, the drama of her demise, uh, it's never nice to, to see your, your uh, parent disintegrate in the, in the way that they can do. Um, so, you know, the, the one bright spot, and I'm, you know, you know, was just having this little glimpse of being able to, to do something for myself and, and treat myself to something. And, yeah, my wife's incredible. Uh, she's my second wife. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm not like Richard Burton, but you know, I, 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 this is just my second marriage, and uh, I, I, I'm very glad we met each other in 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 in, in Canada. We met we met in in, in uh, Montreal, mm-hmm. and our first few dates were just record shopping, uh, in, uh, and that's how we sort of bonded over, uh, you know, ABBA and stuff like that. That is so, the most yeah. precious. I think that that's an important piece for people to hear too that it's like to have a supportive partner in your life or at the very least supportive friends because i think that sometimes people feel like they have to do everything on their own yeah i, I couldn't i couldn't do any of this stuff without her i have to say and it's um and also just having confidence again to 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 do to feel okay to make music and not like i was swindling my bands out of my time by, 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 by daring to kind of sneak off and, and make some music of my own, you know, because I, I, I would have felt that previously. I would have thought, you know, oh, I better not. I better not because, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not a musician anymore. I'm running a label and I need to be a sensible businessman. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Whereas well, that, that, that's just a, an illusion because, you know, I am neither sensible or a businessman. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like you're a label owner and you're a musician. You are, it's not an either or. Yes, even, I, I would even go so far as to say, I think I'm actually just a musician who um, just likes to put other people's records out. And I, I try and treat, I've always thought of it as a hobby, right? Like I, 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 music to me is a hobby. It's something I absolutely love doing and I've been extremely fortunate to to be able to, survive and make a, a, an okay living out of music whether it's being a musician or running a record label i'm i'm okay you know i'm not i'm 
I'm not going to go bankrupt tomorrow. So I've been extremely fortunate to do it. But my approach to it is to treat it as a hobby because hobbies you are things you love to do. Right. And, and work is something that isn't much fun to do because it, it, it's, you know, it's, it's meant to be a chore and, and something that grinds you down. Right. So I kind of try and approach, you know, the, the music side of things always with that sort of hobbyist mentality. And um, it, it doesn't work really because I'm doing it 24, <laughs> hours, a day. 24 hours a day. But that's kind of my approach anyhow. I mean, that would kind of be like the last question I was going to ask was what advice would you give? And I think that that is in general, excellent advice to treat things, treat things that you love like a hobby, because it sounds like even, even though part of it is laborious and, you know, the 42,000 unread emails, it sounds like you haven't lost that, like that spark of it that you're like, no, I still just love this. Like you said, it's like, oh, it's like we're 15 again. Yes, it's it's like understanding the massive contradictions in pretty much every aspect of what I do. Because it's like, on the one hand, I'm like, oh, man, don't take it all so seriously. But I take it more seriously than you could absolutely ever believe. Mm -hmm. And and that's the the music business to me in a nutshell. And how I approach it is like, it's madness because it just swings violently from insane to pleasurable sort of sometimes in, 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 in like within one minute you know you could be sitting there thinking oh man this piece of music I'm doing right now I've never felt so happy and then I'll pick up my phone and there'll be some like catastrophic drama that's just happened with a, you know one of the bands stranded at the airport because the ticket you bought was for the wrong day or something and, you know and I said you have to be able to sort of slightly detach yourself and go okay, you know, I can't take this too seriously. Uh, but, you know, you have to take it seriously because if you don't, <laughs> they'll not get on the plane. You know? so, it sounds like having pragmatic resilience. <laughs> yeah, it's just like accepting that it's, it's crazy, uh, but there is a way through it. And the way through it is just to be intelligent and take a deep breath and keep a smile on your face. Um, because you know what's the point otherwise what's the point in, in getting up in the morning if you if, if you can't enjoy enjoy what you do my dad said to me my dad only said a very few things to me about about careers um because i think my mum would much prefer me to have like a normal job and a career but my dad who was a musician as well very successful mm-hmm. very very successful one who i honor in in many ways which we can discuss some other day he said to me I don't care what you do with your job, work for a job, as long as you're happy. If you want to be a, a, a dustman, you know, working on the bins, if, mm-hmm. if you want to be a dustman, do it. Don't ever do a job that you don't want to do, that you don't love to do. And that's, he said that to me, like when I didn't even know what a job was and I didn't even know what he was talking about. Right, he said right. it all the time and it stuck with me and I, I i said it to my kids when they were when they were growing up you know i said don't ever do job that you don't want to do if you you know if you don't want to, if you want to work in tesco's please be my guest right. <laughs> go do it but don't ever do a job where you're thinking what the hell am i doing because i've got mates that did that felt pressure from you know 
family, father, or whatever, to go into the business, mm-hmm. be an accountant, or go into the city, or you know, and they're all miserable as sin. And and I'm so glad my dad told me that because it seems so obvious, doesn't it? To only do a job that you want to do. But I right. mean, how many people are actually doing it? Well, and it sounds like also don't shoot yourself in the foot and, you know, go against your own survival, but don't go into a career path that is miserable. Like, don't go into something just because you're like, oh, this is the proper thing to do. Yeah, it it is easier said than done because, you know, sometimes your circumstances force you to, to take, you know, to take an opportunity because you need to pay the rent or whatever. And and it's, it's easy to sit here now age I am with the career I've had to sort of say oh just be cool about it just do what you want to do it's, it's not as easy as that but if that's you know if, if that's the approach I think you if you can have that in your mindset when you start out looking for a, a job in music you, you'll probably go you'll probably go fine I was going to say, having that intention in mind that even if you do have to take on a side job that you're like oh I'm not passionate about this Having your passion in mind and knowing like this is the direction I actually want to go. It sounds like you won't be stuck in the other one for long. Yeah, that's exactly the point right there. You know, even if you're doing a shitty job for a while because you, you know, you've got to get out of debt or you've got to pay some bills or you've got to pay your rent. Okay, but at least go home and make music or or write your book or, or be creative or do whatever you need to do. So that you know, you get that balance of pleasure and 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 chore because there's nothing wrong with with doing a shitty job for a while. I, you know, manual labor. I did a, I did some manual labor jobs for a while. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. I worked in the sub basement of a of a supermarket. Uh, no, no, Selfridges, like a big. Oh my goodness! Big, yeah, I worked in a sub basement of Selfridges for like six months when I was seventeen, just before I. Uh, you know, before I got the job in the in the record shop, mm-hmm. you know, just packing boxes. I loved that job because I hated it so much. It made me enjoy making music when I got home, yes. and I was quite thankful for it because it sort of the mindlessness of it. <laughs> you know, it, it I was just so joyful when I got home, shut the door, and could plug my guitar into my flanger or whatever. It was. You're like, well, now I certainly know what I don't want out of my life. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And it just gives you a lot of time to think, doesn't it? You know, doing something so tedious and menial, it's like, it gives you a lot of thinking time and that, that's not never a bad thing. Exactly. I think that in closing, I think that there's value in being bored sometimes because when you're bored, <laughs> that's when you think of stuff. Yeah, that's so true. <laughs> I, I think probably what, what I've been doing a lot the last couple of years of getting this studio together is just, come on, what, what, what was it when it was done and then... I could get rid of the boredom and just get it out there. So I'm thankful of, of boredom. Exactly. I like that I'm just like, in closing, go, be free, be bored. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us for this week's episode of Why Not Both. If you liked what you heard, please make sure to like us and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. You can also come hang out with us on social media. We are at WNB the podcast, both on Instagram and Twitter. This season, we are brought to you by Under the Radar. Under the Radar is a nationally distributed print, music, and entertainment magazine and website. You can find them at www.undertheradarmag.com and feel free to support them on Patreon. 
Extra special thanks to our producer, Laura Studeris, who has been absolutely amazing. Thank you again, and I look forward to next week's episode. Thank you.